Matthew, the uh, second chapter, we're going to take a look at a part of the Christmas story in a message uh, that uh, I've entitled, The Threat of Jesus. Some people think, view Jesus as a threat. And in fact, we see that in the Christmas story. Uh, Matthew, second chapter, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So this is post-birth. Uh, it's not a big deal, it doesn't really matter, but uh, we point out often that you see Christmas scenes where the wise men come into the manger and stuff. That's not true. They were not there that night. Uh, it wasn't until after all of this had taken place. Uh, based on our best guess, and we'll explain it as we get into this, this is probably nine months to a year later that these guys showed up. Remember, these guys were from the east. They're travelers from the far east. They see this star in the sky. How they connected that from a star, and they're basically astrologers, something the Bible forbids us to get into, uh, determine from the stars that this king of the Jews had been born, and they wanted to come worship him. Again, very odd how that works. I don't know. But these guys were from the far east. It's not like exactly they hopped onto Delta and zoomed into Israel, okay? These people had to walk. It was a long journey from the far east all the way to Israel. It's a big stinking deal. So who knows how long this took. But our guess, nine months to a year, we'll explain why we think that in, in just a little bit. But in any case, we're assuming at this point they're no longer in a manger. That was a last-second deal because of the rush of first coming into town. But after Jesus was born, during the time of King Herod, Magi, these wise men, and we also don't know how many there were. It's often said that there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were. Uh, we know there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So, but we don't know how many. There could have been a half dozen. We, we have no clue how many of these guys were there. But these Magi, these wise men, from these come to Jerusalem, and they walk into town, and they've just assumed everybody knew what had happened, and they boldly proclaimed and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Uh, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Of course, now, everybody's a little freaked out. They don't know what they're talking about, because uh, they were not aware of what had happened. They could have been if the religious leaders of the day would have been paying attention to the timetables and stuff like that and where he was going to be born. They knew where he was supposed to be born, which you'll see in just a second, but they were clueless. So anyway, this entourage comes. We assume it was an entourage because it says all of Jerusalem were aware of these guys. It's a big city. You know, I would have walked in. Nobody would have said anything, but apparently must have been enough of an entourage. And they probably came loaded for bear. I would assume that when... These people showed up and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that Jesus, his family, was set for life at this point financially. Talk about God providing. Uh, you know, it's not like these guys would have traveled that far and given him a gold wristwatch. You know what I'm saying? This was like, when they came with gold, it was like chunks. Of, it was like a big stinking deal. All this wealth. No way do they come to honor the king of a nation and bring piddly gifts when they, these people would come to offer to kings gifts, they were usually very massive. So, you know, from this point on, 
uh, highly unlikely there was any poverty mentality going on in the home. Uh, so anyway, these guys come and said, you know, here we have this entourage. You got all this gold and all this fancy stuff. And they come in. And where's the king? And verse 3 says, when Carod, King Herod, Carod. <laughs> Hi, Carod. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Actually, he was disturbed anyway, but we'll talk about that in a second. He was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Everybody was freaked out. What is this? You know, what do you mean? And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So these people took him seriously. It wasn't like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. These guys come in, but this is who they are. Something about it was very impressive. They took him seriously. The Christ child has been born? He gets these, where is he supposed to be born? And the religious leaders of the day knew where he was supposed to be born because they answered in verse 5, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what the prophet has written, and they quote from the Old Testament, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So prophesied way ahead of time that this Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, when you look at Herod, you know, who is Herod? Uh, this is a guy, he was known as Herod the Great. He was born about 73 B.C. His father was Antipater II, who was a Jew and was appointed by Julius Caesar as governor of Judea. Now, it's kind of interesting. If he, his father was a Jew, that means he was a Jew. Uh, probably is the reason why John the Baptist got in his face. Do you remember John the Baptist got in Herod's face? And uh, rebuked him for having, you know, taken his brother's wife. And uh, some people use that verse and say, well, that means that we can get in the face of politicians and stuff. And I, I always question that. Uh, I'm not big on getting in the face of non-Christians for acting like non-Christians. I always think, to some degree, that's a mistake. Uh, it depends on how you do it. But I think we just need to be very careful about it. Getting in the faith of people who claim to be people of faith, I got no problem with that. I save all my wrath for them. <laughs> all the phonies and hypocrites and all the nonsense, they just fry me. Uh, so when John the Baptist was going off on, on uh, Herod for what he did, because he's telling him it's not lawful what you're doing. Well, if you don't understand that he was Jewish, the law doesn't apply to non-Jews. Do you see what I'm saying? Non-Jewish people really don't care what non-Jews think. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Ever watch them? Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's Christians that get themselves in trouble because we try to make everybody think like we think and get upset when they don't. But so anyway, he's in the face of, of uh, um, Herod because he was of a Jewish descent. Um, Mark Anthony appointed this Herod king of Judea about 40 BC. And uh, his power was never really challenged. Um, historians regard him as an effective but cruel authoritarian ruler. One time he got really angry at his wife. And just because he got angry at her and she ticked him off, which I can't imagine a wife ticking off a husband. Uh, he has her executed. Seriously, dude? Marriage counseling? You can't do that. But apparently not. He has her killed. And uh, so he's just, you know, here's a guy, he, you couldn't even get him angry. He'd just, he'd kill you. Three of his sons, he had, he had six sons. Three of them he had killed because he viewed them as a potential threat to his throne. Now, what kind of a disturbed psychopath you have to be to kill your own children is really at a high level. 
This is how disturbed Herod was. He was one sicko dude and just crazy about power and was paranoid about any threat to his power. Eventually, he does kick off. And, uh, and then when uh, uh, Herod dies, uh, he's replaced by his son, obviously also the Jewish thing, hence what we were just talking about. Um, and he, one of them was Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is the Herod we read about in the New Testament time, during Jesus' time as, as an adult. Uh, this is the Herod he got, uh, that they confronted, and this is the one that he got pulled in front of you know, when he was being on trial, and they sent him to Herod and stuff. It wasn't the original Herod. This was his son. But this time, the original Herod had kicked the, book, the bucket. All right, so he was out of there. Now, the Bible tells us that this original Herod was so insecure and so freaked out that when he heard the possibility of the king of the Jews being born, he goes psycho, and he plans to uh, have the child killed. So we read in verse 7, Then Herod calls the Magi secretly and found out exactly from them the time, the exact time the star had appeared. Uh, and this is how we figure when this was, uh, which I'll explain a little bit more but, uh, in, in just a second. But so he found out at the exact time, and then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, well, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Well, he had no plans on worshiping him. He wanted to destroy him because he found it a great threat. This Jesus was a huge threat to Herod. Now, which was, again, a little bizarre. Historically, Herod by this time has got to be in his early 70s. The child is just born. The chance of him even being a threat to Herod is absurd because Herod would be long dead before this child comes of age and become this king that he was afraid of. But, it, you know, it wasn't logical. It doesn't have to be logical. Herod was an absolute freak. And uh, the first Herod, and just absolutely paranoid. So... so uh, he wants to find out when you find, let me know so I can come worship him too. Well, it's only like five miles from Jerusalem to, to Bethlehem. Uh, and it doesn't take long before Herod finds out that these guys aren't coming back. You see, uh, in verse 12, it says that the Magi, had, having been warned in a dream not to return back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they came, they did their thing, gave their gifts, and then they took off another way and got out of there. And... Uh, so in verse, 20, verse 16, it says, when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, which, again, he's a, an unstable psychopath who doesn't like to get angry. He gets really mad, and then he gives the orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So he wanted to know the exact time. So he picks two. Now, some people say, well, that probably means that the Magi showed up two years later. Um, I don't think it would have taken them two years to get there, more likely nine months to a year. So I think it was more likely a year. So why does he pick two? Because he's a psychopath. He's paranoid, right? So because he doesn't find out where the Christ child is, go kill all the boys, and to make it safe, he would make it safe, right? So he'd probably add a year to it. So he sends this army that is to, to go, and these guys do come. They come, and they just, under orders of Herod, which you didn't mess with, 
They come in and they grab every child, every young boy, from the mother's arms, infants, to two-year-old boys. And I'm sure anyone even close to that and just started slaughtering them right on the spot. This is one of the most horrific events in the Bible. It was actually prophesied in the Bible that something terrible would happen. Um, And uh, in verse 17, it says, this is what was said through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah had prophesied something horrible like this would happen. And then he quotes from Jeremiah. He says, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So what Matthew was pointing out, that this is the uh, fulfillment of that prophecy when he came and just had this horrible bloodletting. Well, before all this had happened, an angel had appeared to uh, Joseph in a dream and told him to get out of there because Herod wanted to kill the child. So they were long gone by the time, I guess, Herod didn't know this. And, and then this horrible, horrible thing uh, occurred because of Herod who was so insecure and so self-centered. Just the thought of this child would just uh, freak him out. So clearly Herod was the kind of person who did not look at the coming of the Messiah in any joyous terms. And, uh, you know, there's really two major reactions to Jesus uh, in the world today. And this has probably always been true. There's lots of different ones, but two major ones. You got one, the first one being a reaction of joy, celebration. This is awesome. The Messiah comes, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. This is why there's millions of Christians all over the world today who celebrate this day because of putting their faith and hope in Jesus as the savior of the world. He's the one who comes to fix us from our sins and is received with great joy. The other major reaction are people who hate Jesus uh, because they view Christianity as a threat and they're very, very nasty towards us. Uh, And there's lots of versions in between, but those are the two major ones. Now, Everybody likes the version of Jesus as a child, you know, peace on earth, you know, the hippie Jesus, peace, man, peace, everybody's just love and peace, and everything's going to be fine and groovy, and everything's gonna... everybody likes him. What they don't like is the adult version of Jesus. In fact, I've always argued, I think that the reason our, Christian, our Christmas is so well received uh, throughout the world, even though there's a secular version of it as well, uh, is because Jesus as a baby is a threat to nobody, right? Little baby Jesus. They can't say, he's a cute little baby. So he can't say it. Can't There's no threat. There's nothing he can say that would infringe on their sin in any way, shape, or form. The adult version of Jesus, most people are not crazy about. This is the version that says, hey, come to God, but you need to turn away from your sin. You get to quit doing what's wrong. This is the version of Jesus that just makes some people psycho crazy. Now, why they get so crazy, it's hard to, you know, it's, but it's not rational. It's like Herod wasn't rational. Uh, Now, unless you live in a bunker all week long under the bowels of the earth, uh, most of you have heard about the big controversy this last week involving the Duck Dynasty patriarch, you know, Phil Robertson, and the big blow up with uh, the network A&E because Phil had said something that they didn't like and it ticked him off. Now, just let me say in advance, I'm not going to mention what it was. Okay, um, there's not going to be any graphicness. It's Christmas, and uh, there's people visiting, <laughs> and there's children. So I'll behave myself. On a regular Sunday, I probably would, but I'm passing on today. But most of you know what it is, okay? So 
So anyway, so he said something about a certain lifestyle they couldn't stand. They went crazy and they, the hatred of people who look at the Bible and they get extremely angry and uh, insist two things. First of all, they incorrectly say, that's not true, that's not what the Bible says, which they're absurd, they're, they're ignorant, they don't know it's exactly what the Bible says, which we'll explain in just a minute. Uh, but they, they don't like being threatened about what they do. And most people, the main reason most people don't want to go to church is they don't want to be confronted with what they're doing is wrong. The main reason most people don't want to give their lives to Jesus, they don't want to give up friends that they have or patterns that they're doing or, you know, they, they just hate the idea of stopping what they do. Now, I always think, I don't know why these people get so mad. Why do they care what we think? <laughs> what do they care? Right? I don't care what they think. <laughs> I don't care why they go so psychotic. But they're so threatened. They don't want anybody to point out in any way, shape, or form that what they do is, would be considered inappropriate. All right? So, Robert's in some trouble because he quotes basically from uh, 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. And we're not going to even put it on the screen so you don't have to <laughs> deal with it with questions you don't want to have to deal with later from young ones. But uh, he, Paul basically says this. He says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. And, and now let me explain this just so you kind of understand this. He says, don't you understand that wrongdoers will not, because there's a context here, which we'll explain to you in just a minute. It's really different than a lot of people think. But... Uh, and then he gives this list of things that are wrongdoing. Now, don't misunderstand salvation. You could live your whole life and not do anything on that list. And you still would not get into heaven. We don't get into heaven based on what we do or do not do. Do you understand this? We're, we're, we get into heaven based on our faith and trust in God and receiving his grace and forgiveness in our lives. Because we're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner. It's not a matter of this list seals doom one, one way or the other. The teachers of the Bible, they knew this. Salvation is a whole different ballgame. Salvation needs to be for every, everybody needs to be saved. Everybody needs a savior. That's why they preach the gospel. And that's why we, to this day, preach the gospel everywhere we go to proclaim the good news. Hey, you know God. That's the whole celebration of Christmas. Joy to the world, man. And it's great. If, if you really listen to the words of traditional Christmas carols, it's stunning how biblical they are. They really preach the Bible, talking about salvation, come to redeem us, our fallenness, our only hope for salvation, all these Christmas carols. Now, not the Frosty the Snowman ones, but the, all the traditional ones, all are, are very blatant about our faith and stuff like that. That's what Christianity has always been about. That's what this whole thing celebrates. We celebrate it. Thank God he sent his son Jesus, okay? The reason the New Testament often gives lists about what is not appropriate or inappropriate is to challenge the Christian community. Many of them who had been pagans their entire lives and grew up with no reference of righteousness in any way, shape, or form. These were people, the majority of Christians in the early, most of them were just pagans. They'd done God knows what. I mean, they were worshiping frogs and lizards and everything else and doing stuff that would make a normal person vomit. You know, I mean, this, is, this was a part of their culture. Christianity comes, they accept Christ, and they, he kept, would often give them lists. Look, don't do this stuff. Because this stuff is contrary to who we are in Christ. Because these are things that would be considered wrong in the eyes of God. So he gives this list. So he gives this list, the first part of it, rather inflammatory, which I'll uh, spare you. But it's a rather long list. And he goes into the, as you read some of the list, the stuff that's after you get past the, the uh, nasty stuff, um, we see the list continues. He says, in addition, thieves, 
greedy, drunkards. This is all part of the continuing list, okay? It wasn't picking on one group of people. There were several groups early on that he starts on and continues on, and he adds uh, the uh, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers. You know what a slanderer is? A slanderer is someone who says something that hurts the reputation of someone else. That's slander. Keep that in mind the next time you roast your pastor over a lunch or something. I don't like the way he does it. They're basic slanders. They're in the same list of people. Oh, that's horrible. You know, we like to start with the real inflammatories. Oh, those people are such sinners. Hey, Jack, you got to read the whole list. This whole list pretty much nails all y'all. Are you hearing me? Okay, slanders nor swindlers. And he gets down, he says, they all will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I heard some commentators this week, because they've been arguing about this and freaking out. There were, one commentator gets on and says, oh my gosh, according to this, everybody's a sinner. And he just laughed. And I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right, right? We're, they were shocked. I can't believe this list. They were saying, what kind of list is this? That means everybody's. And then they kind of laughed it off. And unfortunately, there wasn't anybody of a Christian faith who had a clue in the uh, interview that would have sp- spoken up and said, yeah, that's the point. The point is, it wasn't to pick on any one group of anyone. We're all doomed without God, right? And we need to avoid these behaviors, especially trying to give a point of reference of people who've been pagans all of their lives. But the Bible was very clear. There are some things that are morally wrong. Now, some people hear this stuff and they just freak because they don't want to ever hear that anything they're doing is wrong. But there is wrong and right. There is righteousness and Jesus challenged us to turn from our sins and to turn to him. Now, none of these lists, anything in this list was not given so we could go around and beat up on just one particular group of people. Are you hearing me? This I've had a problem with for many years, how so many Christians just get in a lather over the one group and just bring down hellfire and brimstone on that entire group. And it's like, listen, you don't need to come off as a jerk. What's the point of that? Well, the Bible says it's wrong. Yes! Everything else is in the list too. It's all there. I'm not saying it's okay. I agree it's wrong. And anybody, by the way, who says, well, there's nothing wrong with that in the Bible, they are clearly morons because they don't read the Bible. The Bible's pretty clear. It's not given to interpretation. If you, don't, if you doubt me, go read it. I'm avoiding reading the list. You go read it. See if you don't understand what he's saying in that list. It's pretty stinking clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 It's all laid out there. In fact, and even the context of it, which I told you I'd give you, he starts out, the the whole thing he's talking about, he's talking about Christians who get mad at each other and try and sue each other. And he says, that's just wrong. He says, so let's stop and think about it. That's just Christians who are fighting and drag each other to court. He says, that's wrong. Don't you know that all wrongdoers will not get into the kingdom of God? And then he gives this list and added to that was the fact they just got mad at each other trying to sue each other. That was a pretty broad, stinking list here, okay? And I think the Bible takes it seriously. We need to be careful not to be doing any of these things. Doesn't mean we turn around and just hate people that don't fit into this. Most of the people that don't fit into this list, by and large, aren't Christians, don't want to be Christians in the first place. So it's not about beating up on, picking on just one of them, I think, is, is inappropriate. Uh, that's not to slam Phil Robert. Who knows what he said? These people get interviewed and, you know, uh, stupid interviews. I hate these interviews. You have no idea. I've been interviewed many times. 
you have no idea. When you read what they said you said, you're often shocked. Because I go, I didn't say that. I mean, seriously, I know these guys are on drugs. I don't know what they do. They make stuff up. I can see why some people, they never do interviews. And based on what just happened, I may never do one again. <laughs> because they're just out there to kill. And then I always think, because you get these pagan heathen publishings that want to interview me or whoever, I've always asked my wife, why do we talk to these people? You know, it's, it's got to stroke our egos at some point. You know, Washington Times has interviewed me and stuff, and I got it's just my ego. They could eat me alive. I have no idea. Why do I care what they think? I don't care what they think. I honestly don't. And uh, why they care what I think, I don't know. You know, if they're for you, great. If not, they eat you alive. So I think we need to think some of these things through. The reality is we just need to love people, okay? We need to challenge each other about what is right and what is wrong, what is appropriate for Christian people, which is what these lists are. These are directed to Christians. These aren't lists to turn around and beat up on a bunch of heathens who don't get it in the first place. Uh, we should be loving people, caring for people, showing them the love of Christ. But make no mistake, at the end of the day, the message of Christianity is not just God will forgive you. The message of Christianity is if you will turn away from your sins, God will forgive you. You know, we read where Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but we always forget the second part because he always says, then go and sin no more. That's the unpopular part. Uh, we need to challenge people, look, you know, and most people get it, quite frankly. Anybody who comes to God with an open heart and wants to get right with God pretty much gets the fact that much of what they're doing in life is wrong. Some of them come to Christ, and it was, it's not until later that they start seeing the list and start seeing what they're doing is wrong, and then they've got to grow into that. And I understand that. We've got to be patient with people. Uh, as God has been patient with you, so we need to be patient with others. You know? There's people literally who come to Jesus and have no idea that committing adultery is wrong. They, seriously, they have no idea. Because of their point of reference in life, they're just, you know, we live in a culture where none of that's wrong anymore, right? So it's not until they come and start learning and they challenge them, man, you need to stop doing this. And then God deals with them and stuff. But again, our goal isn't out there and just hammering and killing people over issues. It's about causing people, challenging people to live more righteously. Live in a way that God wants us so that we can please him. So anyway, um, as followers of Christ, we will always be subject. The Bible says, Jesus said we would be like sheep for the slaughter. There's a big part of the world that just hates what we believe. They hate what we stand for. As long as, as, long as we take the, per, the perspective that God loves everybody, doesn't matter what you do, then everybody will like us. But that's not the message of Christianity. God does love everybody despite what you do. But we need to start doing the right things. That's the call of Christianity. That's what Jesus did, came to call us to do the right thing. John the Baptist, all these guys calling us, Paul, calling us to do the right things. And let's make no mistake, there are people out there who, like Herod, freak at the idea of someone that would challenge who they are and what they do. That's what Herod was afraid of. And indeed, there's people today, because of whatever thing they're into, they want it to be accepted by everyone, and when it's not, they get very angry. Okay. Uh, and if anyone gets angry, let it be them. Are you hearing me? If anyone's going to hate them, let it be a one-sided hate they want to hate us for our faith, then so be it. But let us never hate anybody for what they do about anything. Uh, but never be afraid to stand up for the truth. At the end of the day, we want to celebrate this glorious gift of salvation, this grace that comes from God, 
this wonderful thing that we celebrate at Christmas time, that Jesus came to save the sinner. What does that mean? He came to save everybody because we're all sinners. But we have to be willing to turn away from this. Not that everybody's perfect. The New Testament's very clear. He says, if you mess up again, ask God to forgive you. I mean, so people mess up in any of these lists. Any of these, some, some of you sitting here have messed up on some of some, even the really serious things. Uh, what do you do? You ask God to forgive you and you move on and you want to do the right thing. Love of God doesn't mean there's no rules. There are rules. Anarchists want no rules. And when you stand up for what's right and wrong, you will be hated for it. But let, again, let them be the ones who hate. Let us never hate anybody. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Christ. We thank you for the glorious message of Christmas that you sent your son into the world that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But Lord, you call us to righteousness. Most of these things are not complicated. They're pretty simple, pretty straightforward. What we should do, not do, how we should be, not be. Uh, some of them rather uh, sensational. Some of them just pretty simple, basic stuff about how we treat one another. Lord, help us to follow your word to honor and respect your word so that we can please and honor you. And help us always, Lord, no matter how much someone might hate or revile us for our faith, let us never return that hatred and always walk in love towards others. Uh, Christianity has never been about a popular con popularity contest. Uh, it's about doing the right thing. Help us to share and live rightly and so glorify you in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Bless you.